0: Transmission in time. Transmission in time. Welcome to the Potomac picture show. Let's do it!
1: Episode 0052, George Clooney Brings Down the House. You've entered the Potable Picture Show, your podcast dedicated to motion pictures and drinking liquors. I'm your host, Kevin McCray, and I'm here to tell you that this podcast may contain explicit content. In this episode, we will try a brand new cocktail. And in feature presentation, we will be tackling the film Tomorrowland. I almost misread the film because my notes are incorrect, but we will be talking Tomorrowland and feature presentation, and then both Beermaker Matt and I will be ranking some things. Rank. I don't usually or often get to rank things, so that will be fantastic. Well, we did have a nice cocktail hour last night, so I should head into the cantina and meet up with Beermaker Matt and get things started. Well, here I am in the back of the cantina. Uh, this is probably the last room in the cantina that is getting settled in, with is slowly being settled in. Although our alcohols are arranged, and that's about it that has changed in the cantina. It's still in a general state of um, dishevelment and warmness. It is warm on this side of Tatooine. It is much cooler in other parts of the cantina. But what can you say? You want to keep your expensive beers and wines in the hottest place of the house, I suppose. Joining me, sitting across from me in the cantina in our new VIP lounge, it is Beermaker Matt. Beermaker Matt and I are both having Flying Fish Farmhouse Summer Ales as a sipping beer because it is nearly summertime. Well, that's tasty. I like the uh, Flying Fish I've mentioned on the podcast. I'm not usually a fan of Summer Ales because they're, they're too weedy. Normally for me, like wheat and citrus, but, um, this one isn't too bad. Cause this is like a, well, they, they call it a farmhouse ale, which is usually just a, a nice sipping beer. Yeah. Oh, it pretty smooth. I ruined it. Uh, that's, that's fine. To I'll make up baby. for it by drinking again. <laughs> so anytime at home you hear that you have to hit a baby, you can drink along with us. It could be beer. It could be water. It could be Gatorade. It could be Pedialyte. I don't recommend shots, but you could do it. You could even play along with your own drinking games, like Listener Callan. I think he drinks every time I say, um, so he becomes drunk before we've even gotten to the news, typically. Or uh, I think his—I oh, say I just did it. Um, <laughs> I think he likes to drink also when when I mispronounce um, names, because he thinks that's very funny that I mispronounce names. Although I don't mis- mispronounce names as much as Heathen does. Heathen is not with us tonight. She fell off the balcony, and no one's bothered to go get her yet. Maybe tomorrow. She's down by the pool. Somewhere out there. Pools on Tatooine are quite expensive to maintain. There is a drought. Pretty much always on Tatooine. But uh, anyway, Matt, we went to the Sodo... Sodo... I don't still want to pronounce her name. It stands for South Downtown. So we went to the Sodo alcohol council we were alcohol councilmen which i would like to have on my resume <laughs> if people ask me what's your most important achievement i was an alcohol councilman <laughs> my term lasted for about an hour and a half but it was a very fruitful reign what was uh so we had five drinks um to rank well the cool thing is that we didn't take a big advantage of as i was told to show up at 5 or between 5:15 and 5:30 so i was hustling i got there about 5:32 Most of the people were there, but the guy was like, oh, we're not really going to start till 6. I was like, okay. I was really, really hustling because my dogs had gotten out before I I got home. What I didn't realize, though, is between 5.30 and 6 was cocktail hour, and they would serve you anything you wanted. And this was kind of a a slightly upscale place, good stuff. And I would have, well, first of all, I'm kind of bashful about that sort of thing. It's one thing I don't like flying first class by myself because if I flied with a buddy, I would just be like, bring me the bottle of Grey Goose and leave it. But but when I when I'm well, the first you know, I've only flown international first class once and that's because I worked at the airport. I'll probably never be able to do it again. But the guy going over was really cool because when you get on, they ask you if you want champagne or a mimosa or something like that. And so I said, yeah, I'll I'll take champagne. And then all the way over because I flew to Thailand from uh, from Seattle. So it's a pretty long flight. So we stopped in Japan, and pretty much the whole way over, any time a glass was empty, he just kept refilling it and refilling it and refilling <laughs> it. And about the time I got to Japan, I, I fell asleep. And, and then there in first class, your, your seat goes totally vert or vertical. No, horizontal, yeah. uh, which is pretty cool. And then on the way back, I had a different lady. She's still nice, but she didn't do the thing. She, she just asked me if I wanted anything else, but she didn't do the thing of just refilling my cup as soon as it was empty, which is just super awesome. Um, but anyway, so I didn't really take advantage of the cocktail uh, hour. But the lady did make us a surprise drink that was pretty good, oh, and then uh,
2: I thought you said they came by and took or well, really well she did. Orders she, and then
1: the lady, her name was Kat. She she let us know. She said, "Well, it's it's cocktail hour right now, which means you can have anything you want." Basically, meaning food too. I almost ordered more of those scallops because I didn't get any. Um, and then I one going back to my bashfulness and letting other people order. I, I was waiting waiting for the ladies to order first. I didn't want to be too overzealous. And they got so into it. They're like, well, what are we having? We don't want to have something that doesn't go with the menu already. We want to stay in the thing. And I don't know what I want. What's good. And they were so indecisive that the chick just left. I was just going to order a rum and ginger ale. Cause that's generally my go-to cocktail. And I didn't want to order. I didn't want to order something like a martini and get fucked up before we got, you know, cocktails to drink. That would have been a little bit too much.
2: Yeah, ginger will cleanse your palate. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That was my one Is I thought the ginger might be too much. Um, we got there. They had uh, bruschetta and um, hummus. That was really good. And I was actually the first one to dig into that because a lot of the ladies knew each other. I, I found at a lot of these events I've been to with the Yelp parties and things that a lot of these um, society people just know each other through networking. And so they were all friendly. But I was, f- and they and they went out of their way to talk to me. But I was having trouble keeping up because they just. One, they were all, you know, fancier than me. There was like, you know, the the other guy that came in late was a civil engineer or something. But then the one lady, she was uh, head of marketing and media for the mall. And then another lady was, uh, oh, she was like that. She created the uh, Reno Edible magazine, which is like a local. It's a, it's a well-produced magazine, but it's a local free magazine that, you know, potentially someone could pay for. It's that high quality. Um So again, I was feeling a little out of my element, but you know, something that drinks help with. And then they bring out five drinks because we're, we're supposed to rank them to see if they're going to go on their, on their upcoming summer menu. And, um, and they bring them out. Meanwhile, they, they, they were giving us some pretty good food, some calamari and, uh, uh, flank steak and things like that. And then we also, we also had a chance to try to name the drinks. So Matt, what was the, what was the best name you came up with? Do you think for one of the cocktails?
2: Uh, Dia Del Playa mm-hmm. is probably my favorite name that I came up with. And that was probably
1: your favorite drink, too, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was my favorite drink, too. Um, uh, my favorite name I came up with was Grandma's Closet, and that was for my least favorite drink. <laughs> Where in the comments section I wrote, tastes like licking Grandma's Closet, uh, in, in sort of a good way. It was just very uh, sachet-y, perfumey, flowery. Potpourri. Exp- put- yeah. yeah. Extremely, and you know, I like elderflower and things like that. I don't mind like a little bit of flour. I like Hendrix Gin, which has rose petals in it, but this was, you know, very flowery. Actually,
2: like, I take a bit. The one that I did like the best was the last one. So the okay, a lot the, of people like that one too. The bourbon and the peach
1: schnapps. What would you end up calling that one? Georgia Peach. I had a tough time naming that one. I can't even remember what I ended up coming up with. Uh, I think I. I think that was the only drink that I named. That wasn't based on the color or the characteristics of the ingredients. I think I just gave it a name. Like, what's going on? Is Siri. Huh. I don't know why Siri's trying to talk to me because I didn't touch her. She was dictating everything I'd been saying for the, like, "That's, that's some scary. Speaking of future technology. So then uh, we did that, and that was pretty good, and then I wanted one more drink, so I was going to go to this call, place called Picnic, and Matt told me where it was, but I insisted on going another way because it looked like something I hadn't seen before, <laughs> and it was something I hadn't seen before, and I like to go in places because I've been in just about every place in Reno, and it was a little side uh, wine bar, which they do in a few of these restaurants. There's a place where I'm from in California where they have a little... Side, it's actually called Sidebar, too, because um, it, and it's lawyer-themed. And it's like attached to a to an upper upper end restaurant. Um, a lot of cougars go there. Anyway, good to know. Uh, it doesn't seem as popular here in Reno that I know of. This is like the first adjoining cocktail lounge that I that I found. So we went in. It was really interesting. We went we went in uh, again. The the place is attached to. I wouldn't say is high end, but it's like medium high. It's at least medium end. And and the wine bar, it was, you know, a nice wine bar, but it had like, um, just like this kid that looked like he was about 21 sitting at it, eating some beans. It smelled really good. And then then the girl who was nice, I can't catch her name, she seemed about as smart as a box of rocks. She was really friendly. And then some other guys came. Oh, and they were listening to uh, 90s Alternative on on Spotify or Pandora or whatever they were listening to which was funny and then they they complained about it saying this music's weird for a wine bar and then they switched it to like 80s top hits <laughs> which I don't know how that's any better um so I had a Manhattan there then we made it over to picnic and had a beer and then I came home and had a beer here in the in the cantino and I was feeling a little bit foggy this morning but Yeah,
2: I wasn't feeling too bad last night when I got home, but when I woke up this morning, I was definitely feeling it.
1: I think it was, um, you know, that last little bit of the beer and then the McDonald's I ate. <laughs> <laughs> the McNuggets made out of See I tried to eat some thing. I
2: tried to eat some beef jerky when I got mm-hmm. home last night and I was just too stuffed from everything else that I couldn't even get the beef jerky down.
1: Well, at Picnic uh Picnic here, uh, their their kind of thing is they're a bring your own meat barbecue place, although they do make their own food sometimes and they do pop-up events like aloha style pigs but whatever they were cooking there even though i was pretty stuffed just that smell of, of charred meat out on the grill is making me so hungry and the closest thing that i could get on the way home was mcdonald's <laughs> i wanted like I, I would have actually uh preferred burger king but i wasn't going to go all the way to that end of town and i don't think they were open at that time anyway i ate my mcnuggets out here on the balcony <laughs> <laughs> drank my sipping beer
2: well at least you went with mcnuggets instead of like a uh, big mac
1: Oh my goodness, my soundboard just died. How am I going to hit a baby with a broken soundboard? <laughs> That's what happened when artificial intelligence tries to run everything for you.
2: <laughs> That's fine to hit this baby.
1: There we go. It's warm in the cantina. Um, telling of things to come, because this is our kind of our first warm day in Reno, and it's, it wasn't even that warm today, really. Let me stroll on into the news
0: the newsman will come on he'll go he'll go good evening everybody this is the newsman whatever he says he's not going to say that. and he goes our top story tonight
1: Our top story tonight, our our news today is very alcohol heavy, but our top story tonight is Nebraska's oldest man says a beer a day is the reason he's lived to 110. So this guy, Mark Behrens, he recently celebrated his 110th birthday and he claims uh, daily alcohol consumption is what's keeping him going. (laughs) His daughter says he always told everybody the reason he's lived so long is drinking one can of beer every day at 3 p.m., which I think is a pretty, an interesting time. I guess it's i mean who drinks at 3 (laughs) p.m every day for 110 years that's just such a weird time you would think like six yeah or eight or seven or in the morning but i don't know 3 p.m
2: he's he's probably drinking like a bud light or a budweiser or
1: something as well and nebraska at three because i know nebraska has pretty shitty winters i don't know about their summers um this article says barons may be onto something. In a study published in 2010, University of Texas Austin researchers indicated that moderate drinkers have a lower mortality risk than non-drinkers and heavy drinkers. The oldest person ever, Jean Calment, died at 122. Um, she did not consume hard alcohol, but occasionally did have a glass of wine at lunch. Next story is kind of interesting. I got this also off of NPR, um, so it's a longer story that I've kind of cut down. But it's, it was an interesting tale of shipwrecks and captured booty. This is in a place called the Allens Islands. They're an autonomous region around uh, uh, 6,500 isles off of uh, Finland's west coast. A lot of people haven't heard of this place, including me, but apparently people in Europe haven't heard of this place either. In the summer of 2010, this guy Christian Ekstrom, he's a diver from the Allens Islands, and uh, he was searching for a shipwreck in the Baltic Sea based on a tip he received from a fisherman. Now, the thing about the Baltic is the temperature is unusually consistent and the salinity level is less than that of a fifth of the oceans. Its coastal waters are treacherously shallow, and also, creatures uh, commonly known to erode shipwrecks, like shipworms, they can't survive in the waters there. As a result, the Baltic has an estimated 100,000 shipwrecks, only a fraction of which has been explored. So this guy Ekstrom, who is a diver, he, he went with his dive partner, and they soon found a small wooden schooner, uh, about 155 feet underwater, it was coated in sand and algae, Its hole had been ruptured, and there was no identifying marks on the ship as far as name or anything like that. So shining his headlamp into the large gash in the ship, Ekstrom saw some dark green bottles lying corked among broken planks of mossy wood. So he reached in and he took one out. As he rose to the surface, the cork began to work its way out because, you know, like the same idea, the bins, the pressure started working. Uh, By the time he got up to the boat, the cork just uh, totally popped out. Um, This guy, he says, all this aroma came through. It was phenomenal, and we tasted it without any knowledge of what we were drinking. That seems pretty (laughs) sketchy to just dive down into this boat, who knows how old (laughs) it is, and just start drinking whatever coming up. It could have been you know, medieval Bill Cosby serum. Um, When he returned to the main island, Ekstrom began researching the mysterious liquid, hoping it would hold clues to the wreck. A wine expert he consulted guessed that it was very old champagne, And estimated that if it tasted as good as Ekstrom believed it did, each bottle would be worth up to 50,000 euros, which I believe is over $100,000. That's when I started getting a little sick, he says, because I recognized that we'd been drinking 18,000 euros of champagne from the bottle and from (laughs) coffee cups. Which kind of reminds me of that scene in Last Man on Earth uh, on the first episode. Um Later testing did determine that it was indeed champagne, and it had been bottled in 1839 or 1840, making it older than any previously discovered preserved champagne. Ekstrom and his team continued to search the ship, diving twice a day for three weeks, and they retrieved 167 more bottles of champagne, along with spices, olives, and preserved fruit. About halfway through the search, Ekstrom came across five dark brown bottles squatter than the ones that held champagne. Back on the boat, one of the bottles cracked, spilling fizzy yellow liquid onto his fingers. He tasted it and noticed flavors of tobacco, wheat, and a lot of egg. Uh, it wasn't pleasant, but it was familiar. Ekstrom recalls thinking, I don't care about the champagne now. We've found the golden ticket. We've found beer. <laughs> In addition to diving, Ekstrom runs a gastropub attached to Stallhagen, a small brewery on Åland, uh, and he was determined to reproduce them. At 170 years old, they were the oldest preserved beers ever discovered, and the fact that they had been bottled indicated that they were of very high quality uh, because, you see, beer of that era was usually stored in things like wooden kegs, not normally bottled. That was for fancy-pants people. The Finnish government and an independent research institute took samples from two of the bottles for physiochemical analysis, a process that involved four years and a variety of methods, including gas uh, chromatography, and (laughs) flame-atomic-absorption spectrophotometry. The scientists' uh, um, report showed that salt water had seeped in through the corks of both bottles. All the yeast cells were dead, but some bacteria were still alive, which accounted for the fizz. This finding has become a source of interest to scientists throughout the food industry. They can't understand how it's possible that a bacteria has lived for 170 years. Although the beer and bottles uh, between the bottles were similar... The report noted that one was more strongly hopped than the other, suggesting that Ekstrom had come across an extremely old mix pack. Because there also appeared to be a third type of beer among the remaining three—a darker variety that they haven't analyzed yet. The two beers smelled of burnt rubber, overripe cheese, and goat <laughs> <laughs> flavors. That Brian Gibson, a senior scientist who worked on the report, said are likely a result of living underground for, or underwater for so long. Beer is inherently unstable, especially beer produced before the advent of pasteurization and other preservation processes. DNA analysis of the yeast did determine that at the time the two beers were produced, they would have had notes of sweet apple, rose, butterscotch, and clove. They would also have tasted sweet, too, as they had been fortified with sugar, similar to a lambic. That's the closest modern-day equivalent. Stahlhagen and the Institute ultimately brewed, fermented, and bottled 15 test beers over two years before settling on... Uh, Two recipes. The brew that matched the hop beer of the original beers became known as Historic Beer 1842. That was released in October of last year. Um, In a limited run of 2,000 hand-blown glass replicas of the original bottles. Each bottle cost around $130, but they quickly sold out. The second smoother beer called Historic Beer 1843 was released in May of last year. It's being sold commercially throughout Finland and abroad for about $6 a bottle, but it hasn't reached the U.S. yet. So, uh, this guy from NPR, he went over to, I think it was the New York Times office, and he had some of these bottles sent to him for for tasting, as like a gift or whatever for doing the story. Uh, Some writers at the newspaper, and he drank it. And he says, the general consensus among the tasters with it was that historic beer 1843 was light, smooth, and altogether not unpleasing. An (laughs) editor mentioned that the flavors were similar to that of Natty Ice. (laughs) Though it finishes with more body. A fact checker remarked, it tastes a lot like what I drank from a plastic uh, red cup in college, so it's historic in that way. (laughs) The refined palate of the connoisseur, also an editor, caught flavors of grass and perhaps also apples. (laughs) He mentioned that in the world of craft beers, each of which attempts to outdo the next in distinctiveness, this one was definitely understated. But he also thought that it was obviously of high quality. Maybe it came from a time when beer didn't have to be distinctive. I can imagine if I lived in the Allens Islands that I'd be very grateful for it. So nearly five years after his discovery, Ekstrom has still only explored the first level of the cargo hold. The ship is in extremely delicate condition, um, but it's resting reasonably stably. Uh, He wants to explore the rest of the ship, hoping to find more clues, especially to the identity of the boat. That's one of his main things. Next story... This is just some interesting things. Uh, I was reading something about the history of alcohol and that almost since the beginning of alcohol that that they've made rules regarding alcohol. So here's a few. Sitting down to drink brandy in a place where it was sold was banned in some 16th century German towns. Toasting to a person's health was prohibited in 16th century Germany also. A 1677 French police um, ordered... Uh, The ban of brandy sales from November 1st to the end of May to keep criminals from getting drunk and committing crimes during the winter's longer hours (laughs) drinking for more than a half hour in a tavern or drinking to excess in a public house in colonial era Massachusetts meant stiff fines up to 10 whippings and 3 hours stay in the stocks in the 1700s in England uh, the gin acts imposed duties and licensing fees to close down retailers and raise prices to curb consumption of gin uh, back in World War One, workplace drinking was being blamed for interfering with muni- munitions production, so British bars were restricted to serving drinks uh, only from noon to 2.30 and from 6 to 9 p.m. Huh. In, starting in the late 1920s, passbooks were required for Ontario citizens buying liquor. Clerks kept track of purchases, and anyone who they thought was abusing alcohol could not make purchases for a whole year. <laughs> um, united states wasn't the only country to practice prohibition at some point mexico canada finland iceland norway india and russia between 1914 and 1933 also practiced some form of prohibition when prohibition ended in the u.s states and localities enacted various limitations including a ban on perpendicular drinking or drinking while standing Restrictive laws on alcohol sales were relaxed in New Zealand in the 1960s. Restaurant patrons had to sign a document promising that they intended to order food if they were drinking. And when Virginia allowed mixed drink sales in restaurants in 1968, patrons had to be seated in order to order a cocktail. So my last story, finally, to at least some movie news. Conan, do you like the Conan, Matt? Like Conan? Not Conan O'Brien. The, the Con- Conan the Barbarian. Conan the Destroyer. No. You don't like Conan? Yeah. I like Conan, especially the first one. The lopped off heads.
2: I just like the, the, uh, the weasels.
1: Anyway, Cabinet Entertainment has required the rights to all of Robert E. Howard's work. Uh, this Cabinet Entertainment belongs to Swedish producer Friedrich Malberg. He has a quote, these days it comes down to brands and characters and we are looking to long-term possibilities. We look at how Marvel played out with its rich base of characters and this too is a universe that lends itself to exploration in TV and film. There aren't many libraries like this. So, Cabinet now possesses the rights to more than 800 stories. In addition to Conan, there are hundreds of characters like um, Solomon Kane, Cole of Atlantis, also known as Cole, Cole the Cocker, Malberg has mentioned television as a potential landing place for some of these materials, which I'm not surprised with the success of Game of Thrones. There was a lot of uh, places scrambling to make similar TV shows. Writer Chris Morgan, who penned The Legend of Conan, recently sounded, a uh, Legend of Conan's movie hasn't come out yet. It's supposed to be the sequel, and um, it's, it's been written for a while. Um, he sounded off on the dark nature of the upcoming movie. He notes that everyone involved is looking to emulate the tone and brutal savagery of the original. According to Morgan, it's going to be similar thematically to Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven, only with swords. Um, it'll also be similar that Conan, now a legend of his own time, has to conform- confront his own mortality as his ages. So yeah, that's one of the things I read about is it's about that uh, he's kind of this barbarian king that's united all these tribes, but now he's this old guy and he doesn't really know how to hold all the tribes together because he's losing power. He's, I always think that's an interesting thing to explore in movies and that one of the more recent Bond films had a good chance to explore that and, and didn't completely. Was it the last one or the one before? I can't remember. But anyway, I like the Conans. I, I, I wish Arnold would start making some good movies now that he's making movies because his last six movies have been big dumpers.
2: And, yeah, his newest one is probably going to be just as bad.
0: Yeah, that's fine. To hit this baby.
1: Which one are you talking about, Maggie? The zombie one?
2: No, I'm actually kind of interested to see how that one turns out. I'm talking about the Terminator.
1: Oh, Genesis? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, with that Conan news, we'll head into cocktail corner.
0: I see America drinking the fabulous cocktails I make. <laughs> America's getting yeah. stinking on something I stir or shake. Have a drink. <laughs>
1: So, this week in Cocktail Corner, I am going to try to emulate a drink that I came up with on Sunday, sort of on accident. Matt, have you ever done one of those things where you don't have anything left in the liquor cabinet and you just try to mix something together and see if it turns out okay? Mm -hmm. So, I've done this a lot. I've said this for years. I wish I kept a notebook about things that were good and weren't good because I would say out of my experiments, maybe 25% are are good, but also to keep track of the measurements because I found... um, a lot of it really is in the balance so that you could really fuck up a drink just by adding too much of one ingredient. And I should write down what, what, what usually happens though when I'm mixing whatever's left as I'm literally mixing whatever's left and I'm not measuring, I'm like, okay, there looks like there's about an ounce and a half in this bottle. I'll dump that in. Oh, it looks like there's about an ounce of this. I'll dump that in. Uh, what do we have to mix it with? Oh, uh, light blue Gatorade. Well, we'll see how that, how that turns out. <laughs> So, on Sunday, though, I made one of my, my more favorite accidents. Um, I had made that infused vodka with green tea and honey. And I um, had a little bit of that left, so I dumped that in a glass. Had just a little bit of amaretto left, so I dumped that in a glass. And then uh, added some lemonade. So, the lim- we have already had tasted the lemonade and the tea vodka. That was really good. So, the, the, the secret ingredient was just that little bit of amaretto. Wasn't that much? I would say it was more of a minor uh, vehicle in the drink, but it was good. You could taste just something different in there. It was it was because you don't want too much of this amaretto. So I'm not remaking that. I am doing an approximation by using. So I'm using Southern Style Sweet Tea from Southern Sweet Tea flavor. I don't even know where this is from or who makes this. It's just called Southern Style Southern Sweet Tea, handcrafted. So it's 35%. I think it's going to be a little bit weaker than the vodka I had made. Um, I'm using Amaretto. I usually use the uh, Di Serrano because that's the fancy Amaretto, but we're using Amaretto da Vinci. Uh, This is at 28%.
2: And what is Amaretto made out of?
1: Um, It is a liqueur mostly known for almonds, but there's also something like tangerine or something weird in it too that I've I don't really ever pick out. Um, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before when I didn't drink as a kid. When I refused to drink once a while, I would uh, I would take shots of Amarado, which just sounds disgusting now. But this is like when I was seventeen. So I'm just going to kind of guesstimate some of the stuff. I'm going to mix it in a mixing cup and then I'm going to pour it in some separate cups. So let's try to get about four ounces. Or so in there. Let's just keep adding to it. <laughs> I'm not really worried about the sweet tea as much because the uh, lemonade... I'm worried about putting in too much amaretto, so we'll go about out there on that. I'm going to mix that up. going to pour it in. Then I'm going to drink it with a grin. Mm. And we'll just top off with lemonade seems about the right measurements as far as the alcohol ratio about one-fourth yeah. this might be a little again I'm not certain about the sweet tea I'm gonna take a little a little snuff of this southern sweet tea vodka by itself yeah see this is has way more of a tea flavor than the vodka the, the, that I made the vodka I made wasn't quite this color it didn't have as much i had more of that um green tea taste not like the southern style sweet tea so this definitely will be a different style drink i'll give you the stronger one and <laughs> would anything you want to drink too uh, not. i'll drink till summer is coming there you go drink today. and fitting cups as well It's good. It's definitely different than the drink I made. It's very heavy on that sweet tea flavor. Um, you're not getting anything of the of the Almoreto and barely anything of the lemonade. Yeah. It's good. I actually had to add some more lemonade to mine because I'm a wussy. <laughs> All right. Well, while Matt and I sip our cocktails in our great Eldorado Barbecue Brews and Blues Festival Cups, we will head into feature presentation. Sweet. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So every week, the Sierra Nevada Movie Club goes on a Tuesday and sees a movie. This week, we saw the movie Tomorrowland, featuring the gorgeous George Clooney. Here is a brief synopsis about Tomorrowland, written by Disney. Bound by a shared destiny, a bright, optimistic team, bursting with scientific curiosity and a former boy genius inventor jaded by disillusionment embark on a danger-filled mission to unearth the secrets of an enigmatic place somewhere in time and space that exists in their collective memory as Tomorrowland. So this is directed by Brad Bird. He's the director of movies like Iron Giant, starring, I think that was Vin Diesel, Incredibles, Ratatouille. Uh, Ghost Protocol. I was kind of... I forgot that he'd done Ghost proto- gross, gross Protocol. Ghost Protocol. This <laughs> so was written by Brad Bird, also written by Damon Lindelof. You might know him from Lost, Prometheus, and Star Trek Into Darkness. This starred George Clooney. You know him. Hugh Laurie. You know him. And Britt Robertson. I did not know her. She was in that recent rodeo movie, Seven Seconds to... That. Uh, who's that? Nicholas Sparks. Yeah, she was in that. Um, a couple of things about this movie that I read about. Brad Bird was sought out as the first choice for the director of Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, but Bird respectfully declined the offer in order to actually do Tomorrowland. Bird stated, When you get the rare chance to do an original film like this, you take the opportunity. Bird went on to say he's a huge Star Wars fan and he looks forward to seeing the film like everyone else. I mean, there's a lot, of, there's other people that turned it down. I know, um, Kevin Smith said he didn't want to do it because he was too big of a fan. That he didn't, it was too much pressure that it would kill him. Um, We talked about when we did the film Escape from Tomorrowland, we talked about hidden Mickeys. Mm -hmm. So there are some hidden Mickeys in this film. When Casey, played by uh, Britt, what's her name? Britt Robertson, when Casey falls uh, while being chased by the hologram dog, her footprints form a hidden Mickey. When arriving in Tomorrowland for the first time, Hugh Laurie uses his watch. A green hidden Mickey is seen on the watch face. Uh, One thing I want to talk about is I kept bringing up how this chick, Britt Robertson, how she is going to age horribly. I'm going to back off a little bit on that statement. I mean... Here's, here's the thing. I don't think I'm going to like her at anything. I haven't hated someone's face so much since Elisa Silverstone. Well, part of the reason I, I didn't like this movie is I hated seeing the main girl's face all the time. I hated everything about it. Hated when her mouth is open in surprise. I hated that she had about 25,000 wrinkles on her forehead. I, I, just, I just wanted to punch her constantly. But anyway, I was surprised to find out that she's 25 years old playing a 15-year-old because... <laughs> She, even though she looks old, she just looks like an old fifteen-year-old. Like there's certain people that look old when they're when they're young. You know, like I said, when I was when I was eighteen, I looked like I was twenty-five. When I was thirty, I looked like I was fifty. Well, maybe not all, but you know. And I don't I don't look as good as her. So I I, like I said, I'm going to back up a little bit when I found out that she's twenty-five. That okay, you know, I don't know. Well, let's just jump into the topic. So this movie kind of begins, so what is it, like 67 or something like that? I can't really remember. It begins at a World world Fair. Yeah. And uh, it might be the 70s. And it begins with a kid and going to um, kind of like a technology exhibition for inventors. I think it, it was
2: even earlier than that. I thought it was like 1949 or something like that, which is I remember thinking at the time, that seems like a long time ago for this to have George Clooney as a gray-haired you know,
1: yeah, I don't, I don't know. I can't remember. I could, I could look it up, but I'm not going to. But anyway, a lot of this film, from the beginning to the end, and obviously, if you've seen the previous, has a lot to do with technology and wonderment and a child's wonderment at technology. This movie is more geared towards a child than an adult in a lot of ways. But I remember when I was a kid, probably around first grade, and I had a project of um, having to write about what I thought would the future would be. I think in something like 20 years, which isn't that much time. But not just kids do this. A lot of adults do this as well. They overestimate what technology is going to be like. I mean, go back and look at movies like um, Blade Runner or Back to the Future or um, Clockwork Orange, where we've already bypassed those time periods where they thought that like all this shit would be totally crazy. And really, stuff isn't that much different. Other than like maybe Google Glasses, that's about probably the craziest thing that exists right now. We're not nearly as far along. Well,
2: self-driving cars. Oh,
1: no, that's true, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. So when I was a kid, I'm trying to remember. I know one thing which goes along with the with the self-driving cars and so I uh the self-driving cars that they have today make more sense than the ones I thought about. But when I was a kid, like 4 or 5, I would think about when my parents were really tired, we would take these long road trips in California and I would just think, why can't we just all rest and the car just knows where to go? And I and I would, you know, as a kid, I was curious but i wasn't exactly smart like a lot of kids so i didn't know how that worked i imagined it would work on some sort of magnetic system sort of like a train but the magnet would be underground and um i think i got the idea sort of actually from maybe something like a disney ride where you see all the cars kind of in a line and how they just kind of go on a track uh, back to back to back again kind of sounding like a train um so that was one of my ideas i believe i thought people would live in higher buildings and we would have more like super fast elevate which i guess we sort of have in las vegas but like to an extreme a very extreme extent almost like a jetson's thing where you get in a tube and you and you go up to your to your floor like way up in the sky we'd have these total tower buildings um i don't know did you have any ideas like that as a kid about what you thought the future would be like or predictions or
2: yeah we even had at my elementary school we had a um some guy who worked for nasa i don't know what he did at nasa but he came and talked at our school and that's actually one of the things he talked about was self-driving cars okay and that they were um actually designing a system that would basically have um like scanners like you see at the supermarket okay um in built into the road and that's how cars would kind of know where they were and they would also work off of um, you know, magnetism, so they would repel the.
1: So, how do the self-driving cars work now? I, I understand, like they they know the proximity to other cars, but you know, when you're just like the Google car going from somewhere the Google campus to somewhere else, and there's nothing else around, is it just all through G, like a very specific GPS or how do they?
2: No, it actually has a spinning laser on the top of the car.
1: On the top, how and what does that do? Uh, it it basically just. Maps everything oh, around. Oh, okay. Car. Well, that is pretty high tech. That's interesting.
2: Yeah, it's a, a lot of the self-drive. Or you know, they already have a lot of like the high-end cars that you know parallel park themselves, yeah. and and that's how they do it as well. They have sophisticated lasers that kind of read um, what it needs to. And that's why they can't drive themselves, is because you need a a laser that does kind of go all the way around the car in order to to successfully drive it.
1: Oh, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. So, but what about? So, we talked about how we looked at the future as kids like 20 years from then, I would suppose. You know, when I was, you know. The year 2000 was a big deal back in 1984. That wasn't even 20 years. Let's say like 1980, 81. I was about four years old then. So looking at 2000, it seemed like everything would be super amazing. So what are we, 2015 now? What do you think things are going to be? Do you think we're going to have anything extremely dramatic in 2035? That seems like a pretty far
2: away. Um... So the biggest advancements that we're supposed to be having is, um, you know, now that they've mapped the the human genome, um, so we're supposed to have the ability to, you know, be able to print body parts and things like that. So a lot of medical, um, achievements that are basically, we, we've made huge strides in the last decade and it's just gonna, we're gonna make even more in the next decade, um, what i would love to see um cuz one of the things that google's trying to do is create supercomputers that um are basically like the the main computer on you know the star trek enterprise mm-hmm. so you you basically talk to it and it does
1: everything like her yeah <laughs> yep although her didn't really do everything but yeah like jarvis <laughs> um yeah, and and he brought up like the the printing and like the 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 printers. I think those just now this you know even even if, even when they were just printing out like stuff like uh, like basic stuff, I was amazed. And when they started printing out like guns and things, I was amazed. And yeah. now didn't they just send something into orbit to print out parts for the international space station or something like that? Hmm. Like it's printing out. It was the first, uh, uh you know, printer, and and that's. That that technology will probably just start getting better and better and smaller and cheaper, where like you know yeah. machines can start printing out their own parts to repair themselves.
2: Well, there was a, a sci-fi. I don't know if it was a supposed to be a sci-fi article. I think it was just some guy ranting that he <laughs> spoke to aliens, um, but he was talking about aliens that basically visit Earth and think we are such an oddity because we. You know, waste material. So we build, actually, build stuff. Whereas their society has basically gotten to the point where, like in um, you know Star Trek, they have the holodecks. Uh So pretty much anything they need is just created. Created in that instance. So if they need a chair, it's just magically created out of particles. And then as soon as they don't need it, it it, you know gets sucked back in. So the particles can be used for you know something else.
1: Yeah, I could see that, or at least you know being being able to reuse that stuff yeah the um what's the other like kind of big oh the thing that they've been doing stuff with uh steadily and steadily is um semi i I don't know i'm not calling it mind control but being able to use your mind to control things yeah so they they had uh they had uh, well not really that but like the um a few years back they made a very very basic video game where the person wow. could make the person on the screen run right, right or left based on what they were thinking right and they're doing more and more things with that with prosthetics yep. where someone can think and they can make their arm move so that combined with um being able to print anything that you ever need to make combined with um you know not you know printing like you were mentioning organic material printing body parts and things like that I think it really will get close at some point, possibly, to one of those movies like um, Out of Time or Gattaca or one of these things where the government will outlaw genetic engineering to a certain extent, but it will still be happening underground and other countries will do it. They really will be where people will be making their designer babies and um, or just, you know. The Japanese will probably, you know, uh, they're they're known for their very sophisticated love dolls. They'll just be pumping out <laughs> g- girls like in that movie with X X Machina. They'll just be pumping out girls to hump <laughs> that don't speak English. Well, I guess in Japan they wouldn't speak English. They won't be speaking Japanese.
2: I think, yeah. As as far as yeah, augmentation. It's the The um, possibilities are endless right now. It's just a matter of somebody wanting to put in the money to to kind of research that kind of stuff. And then there's
1: the religious sect that will put a lot of money against fighting this kind of thing, against uh, tinkering with God's work. Right. But yeah, I mean, you could theoretically... Uh, make someone like in that, that horrible movie Su- uh, Lucy or or something like that where you start um, getting people to tap into more of their brain potential or just engineering people just be smarter and smarter and they'll just have those giant alien chromes so they can hold their giant um, brain capacity. And they'll look back at us now and think that we're just basically like the Neanderthals. <laughs> <laughs> they went shopping. They did this. They did that. They had to settle down for... Yeah. Unattractive women in bars and had to build cosbium because they couldn't just genetically engineer their own sex slaves. What a dumb race. <laughs> Do you see that they just, or they may have just found, they, they think an ancestor fossil to Lucy?
2: Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's even older than Lucy. Or yeah, something.
1: and, and uh, one one scientist says that he just thinks it's a generic, genetic variation, that yeah. it's not something, which my opinion it probably is. Although I would like to, my curious side would like to think it was a different species, because that's more interesting, but, you know. There is, I mean, if you look, they, they, they found all of these weird things. Remember when they thought they found, like, the hobbit people? Yeah. Or whatever, and all these things, I mean.
2: Well, they've got, like, yeah, in Mexico, they found these, like, little tiny uh, skeletons of things that look like they'd be aliens, mm-hmm. but it really is, it might have been, yeah, like a uh Genetic mutation of...
1: Yeah, there's another one in um, Africa, somewhere in this really acrid... Not acrid, but this this desert, or it was discovered... I don't know who discovered it, because it's this desert that no one goes to, but they found uh, the same thing, like a a nine-inch, perfectly mummified... Because this place has the perfect conditions for mummification, because there's like 0% rainfall year-round. And um, so it's this dried up little mutant nine-inch looking thing that they can't explain. It looks exactly like an alien because it's got the giant head. Um, but people are saying, you know, it was probably just some weird fucking defect. That the mm-hmm. But the mystery to me is, you know, who left it out there in the desert in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I think that's kind of interesting. I mean, if I had a mutant baby, maybe I'd throw it out in the middle of the desert too. Especially back then when people are more superstitious. Yeah. They're like, that, the tribe probably made that the mom say, like, your child... <laughs> He's giving us a drought. (laughs) Go take it to the middle of the desert. (laughs) So, um, in this movie, near the beginning of the movie, uh, the young, um, the young George Clooney character builds a rocket pack or something, and they ask him, sorry, they ask him why he built it, and he said, because I got tired of other, uh, I got tired of waiting for other people to do it. So, how are you on that philosophy? Are you a person that waits for other people to do things and then you just decide to do it yourself? Are you just to kind of take charge first all the time? Where do you fall on that parameter? Or what's your idea of that philosophy? That you do something because you're tired of other people not doing it.
2: Um, I think to a certain extent, um, there are certain things that, yeah, I'm just like, fuck it. I'm just going to do it myself. I'm going to you know, make something out of, you know, a tin can that'll do this much easier than, you know, waiting for somebody to come out with a tool that'll do it. Um, But then I've got like, you know, more grander schemes like, you know, when a a tire that is, you know, impregnable, you can't pop it. So Mm -hmm. I've, since I was a kid, I had like this design in a notebook for a tire that, you know, you could drive it over anything and it, you know, wouldn't pop. Um, And, you know, now somebody has come up with that tire, and um, I've seen it in a few videos. Pretty much the exact same design that I had when I was a kid. And it's flubber. <laughs> and it's, yeah, just all it is is honeycombs. It's just mm. a giant rubber honeycomb um, or Makes a network sense. of honeycombs.
1: So you could pop? Is it like chamber? So you could pop one chamber and it still work, or is it just um, the structural it, integrity of the? Yeah,
2: it's. I mean, they're it. It's all open honeycombs well, on this design. It is on mine. I had oh in okay closed, but on their design, I mean, when you're looking straight at the tire on the vehicle, mm-hmm. you just see yeah, a bunch yeah, of honeycombs absolutely. all the way through. Um. So mm-hmm. it it's you you can shred it probably, um, but the honeycomb structure gives it a lot of. Uh, rigidity, and um, durability. Um, but that's one of those things that, you know, I had all these designs for, but I never had the means to actually build one myself. Yeah. I mean, I could have gone to school to, you know, give myself the the opportunities or tools to do it, but.
1: Yeah, because there is that, you know, like people that are um, hired just to create things for, for companies, you know, R&D type stuff. Yeah should be kind of a fun job for the government actually not anymore because private tech pays more than the government nowadays um i think i only take this this adage when it's like very low stakes like last night when there was steak i said well if no one else is gonna eat it i'm gonna eat it i'm not gonna sit there and be polite (laughs) pretend i don't want to eat it like you chicks are (laughs) oh i can't possibly eat another bite i want to but i can't i was like well i can especially after they finished all the scallops and I never got any scallops or pork belly. I was like, okay, after that, I'm just fucking eating everything.
2: Yeah, the pork belly went quick. I didn't even see the scallops.
1: Yeah, they came together. It Gosh. was a pork belly and scallops dish. And oh, When it man. got to us, there was like a little bit of fig left because that was like the <laughs> undergarment. So I ate like a little bit. I thought it might have been pickled duck egg, but it was fig. <laughs> Um, but as far as the other thing, I'm working on it because I am a person that waits for other people to do things, uh, especially if they're better than I am at things. And I probably mentioned this before. I, I really use it as a, as a crutch for like, I probably mentioned this, like Heather our Heathen is much better at talking to people, arranging things, certain things for the podcast and movie group she's supposed to do because that's her strength. She's kind of the marketer. But she's not always motivated to do it, even though she's better at it. So sometimes I'll go out and like recently, I was telling uh, uh, Matt that I went to do a ten questions with someone, and um, if he then would have asked, it was the first time we've been turned down for a ten questions out of everyone we've asked. <laughs> if he then would have asked, he probably would have done it. But because I asked, uh, he didn't want to do it. Also, Heathen didn't want him to do it because she didn't think he'd be interesting, and I just wanted to get it done. Like I said, I'm just once want- we haven't done the ten questions and. In- Couple months now since John Edgar, I couldn't even. You know, it took me. I had to think about who who had done it. Um, but also besides waiting for other people to do things, I just get in a sense of complacency. Also, where if I was just um, like when I first came to Reno, if I didn't know anyone here and I was, you know, more like hungry and um, talking metaphorically hungry for things. I would be going out and setting up a lot more stuff. I've been trying to set up places for a live event for a while and contacted places. And, you know, I'll get some information or emails back and they'll tell me to come in in person. Now, if I again, if I was fresh to Reno, I would definitely be getting that stuff done because there would be no not there would be nothing else for me to do, really, except for go drink by myself. And now it's just, you know, it's, it's not as bad as I was in Sacramento. But Sacramento, I got extremely complacent. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I didn't have a movie group or get into, like, gaming or all these other things. Because I just hung out with my friends all the time doing fun stuff. You know, nothing bad, but just, <laughs> you know, let's go to the river. Let's take our dogs for a walk. Let's go drink martinis. So it's becoming more like that here. It's yeah. hard for me to keep my, my edge. Um... So, in this movie, the George Clooney character, when he's young he 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 one of the reasons he becomes jaded um, among other things, but one is that he uh, he gets he gets disappointed by a female love interest that's also <laughs> apparently his age. so my question is either tell me about your first like little kid love interest that kind of made you jaded or the first thing that kind of burst your bubble as a child that made you start to look at the world through adult eyes even if you weren't adult i mean it could be something as simple as finding out that santa claus was fake or you know just whatever that 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 started to chip away at that innocence can you remember what that would have been um
2: yeah I mean one of the first things now that you've you've mentioned it the the whole Santa Claus thing I remember um you know being being very skeptical about that to begin with um and i you know i remember one one year i I wrote a letter to Santa Claus and left it with the cookies like if you're real, you'll take me on a ride on on your sleigh um and of course you get the the common like return reply like I've got so many kids to see this
1: <laughs> this evening that... I don't have room for one yeah. more boy in my sleigh. <laughs> it's packed full of goodies.
2: <laughs> so it was kind of like right around then when I was like, yeah, this is all a bunch of horseshit. My <laughs> reindeer are carnivorous. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, let's see. For me, I'm trying to think of a few. As far as like the little kid thing, I remember this didn't really jade me it just kind of reminds me of how like little little kid like boyfriend girlfriend things go is um i remember in the school library this would have been third or fourth grade i can't remember which i went and asked this girl if she'd be my girlfriend she said hold on a second and she went around the bookshelves to talk to my friend kyle who you've met and said we need to break up and then came around, he's like, okay, I'm going to date you. And it was just like, he didn't even care. He's like, okay. And like, you know, what is a boyfriend and girlfriend? For? Like, we didn't do anything yeah. different. We just called each other boyfriend and girlfriend. We didn't even hang out, really. I just <laughs> went back to doing what I was doing. But I think like about about fifth grade, I think, is when I started to like get, yeah, it's probably about fifth grade, I started getting my like, heart broken by girls a little bit. It was like, oh, they're all just bitches. Um But earlier in that, I think one thing that made me jaded is I went to the circus, which I probably wouldn't do now now that they say all the horrible things they do to elephants and things like that. But I went to Barnum & Bailey, or one of the big circuses. And I was really young. This is one of my earlier memories. I was probably three or four years old and um, sitting in the bleachers. And I looked down in the bleachers, how the bleachers, you can kind of look down at the bottom. And sometimes you can look back. So I look back and so... If you're kind of looking between your legs, back behind the bleachers, I saw back, which was the backstage area, I saw a clown back there smoking a cigarette. And that's part of the reason I think I hate clowns. But just seeing that clown, because clowns are supposed to be happy and do fun things, like have, you know, balloon animals and squirt guns. They're not supposed to be hanging out looking all pissed off smoking a cigarette with like half their makeup smeared off. Um, So that sort of traumatized me. Um... I can't think what else. I was extremely optimistic and idealistic until I was about eighteen. Like I kept for a long time, honestly. Like I thought everyone will always do the right thing. The world's actually a good place if you want it to be. Bad people will get their justice. Yeah. Um, if you want it bad enough, you'll get it. <laughs> Those kind of things, <laughs> which was cool, and uh, and and then that then that started to change. Yeah. When I realized that you can't just get the, even if you're the best at something. Um, just life isn't generally fair. I do think if you work hard enough and you want something bad enough, you can get it. But, um, n- but it's not a level playing yeah. field and, I've, and that really bothered me.
2: I think I've always been kind of the casual observer. So, you know, even as a young kid observing things happening and, um, yeah, I, I was always very spec. Uh, Skeptical? Skeptical, yeah, about everything. Skeletor. <laughs> <laughs> I was very skeletor.
1: <laughs> Me man <laughs> No, I, I I wasn't. I became I slowly became what they call a realist. Around or a fake realist. I I would say around seventeen, sixteen. I was an optimist, but I was a real like I would say, well, you know, all things being said, this is probably what would happen. But like secretly, I would still have like this hope that the better thing would happen, yeah. and then sort of that 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 hope started to die. <laughs> 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 so I just became a streal. I wouldn't say I'm a pessimist or anything. Like I, I do think that I. Like, uh, heathen will we'll say this ridiculous stuff. Like, uh, well, you know, we we'll probably won't find a parking spot. It's really busy right yeah. now. It's it's hot August nights. Oh, because you said that. You sent it to the universe. Now we won't ever get a parking spot. <laughs> Good job, you asshole. And then I'll laugh because I think that kind of thought is kind of stupid. I mean, I believe in it to a certain extent. I mean, I do think that there's self-fulfilling prophecies as far as you can sabotage yourself and you can give yourself a negative energy but i don't really believe in saying like universe i deserve a million dollars yeah. oh i've gotten it i mean my uncle i mean i do have family members that do believe in that so
2: in the the secret that
1: yeah yeah that kind of thing
2: so i i mean so i was trying to think earlier on kind of like the most simplest way to break down this this movie and the the main theme behind it and i Talking about this kind of remind me of yeah as as I got older, I became more more optimistic as opposed to you know being skeptical of everything and you know always expecting the worst, so you get more optimistic and and you find you know you're you're a little bit happier, and I think that was kind of like the overall theme behind this movie was you you gotta keep a positive attitude.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I did sort of like the theme, and I don't think uh, the one guy said it was a little preachy. I didn't really find it preachy. I thought it was kind of fine at the level it was at, yeah. a, at, at a point that I'm not even sure that kids would understand it, that it wasn't that obvious, even though they come right out and say it. But as far as that goes, I can kind of believe it. And I remember when I was a kid, my a couple people told me this. It's sort of that, that, that saying, birds of a feather flock together, but more of if you're around negative people, you'll right. be a negative person kind yeah. of thing. And I didn't believe it as a kid because I was so close into it that I, it was like too close for me to recognize. Yeah. Um, you know, people would say like, these people are bringing you down or this is happening or you know, you're saying that because of this or you're doing that because of this. And I was like, no, I'm like a total individual. Like I prided myself on being an individual. But I do realize if you're around negative people all, all the time, it does affect you. Yeah. And you totally can see that when you're around positive people all the time because you're around positive people all the time you really feel like you can do, like, anything. Yeah. And you're just like, yeah, I'll fucking do that. I'll jump <laughs> off the cliff. Yeah, let's go into business for a donut shop. Shit, I'm <laughs> quitting my job. Let's make donuts. <laughs> like, you know, um like motivational spe- You can even watch, like, motivational speakers, like, on TED Talks, where you're not even in the audience. You're like, shit, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to do that. I'm going to break a board. <laughs> I worked I worked at a company selling knives Vector most people probably know it where our manager had had everyone like break boards is like See, you could do anything it's all just <laughs> molecules it was cool though seeing like 6-year-old women like break a board but <laughs> but yeah that was pretty neat so i mean there is there is something about positive thinking and negative thinking i'm just not again sure how much about how much of that you can control and how much is, you know, manifesting destiny by doing it.
2: Well, I don't think you're... It's not nec- For me, it's not necessarily about manifesting it. It's
1: about seeing it more. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're going to go in expecting to fail all the time, then you're probably going to fail more times than other times because... Obstacles are, are going to delay you Or it's just going to be the first thing you recognize or see
2: Well I mean um, if things If you're more positive when things go wrong You're you're more likely to Not dwell on the, the yeah.
1: negative as much Or and learn from it Or try to see it as a positive right. But like oh You know like all those inventions That were designed for something else And then you know Like Silly Putty was supposed to be For NASA or something right And became yeah. a toy yeah. And um, like uh, Coca-Cola was supposed to be medicine back when it had cocaine in it and actually made you feel better <laughs> instead of, like, shit. Okay, so our revolving topic for every movie, what is your porn parody for Tomorrowland? <laughs>
2: um, so this one can actually be, as I was thinking about it, could be a gay porn parody or a, a straight to be, one. Seems to, oh, or a history <laughs> one, you said? Or, or a straight one, oh, yeah. Okay. Um So mine was... Tom or Roland on top.
1: <laughs> Tomorrow okay. <laughs> That's almost on a heathen level. That's pretty out there. Tomorrow. <laughs> so I have To Swallowland starring George yeah. Pooney, <laughs> Tit Robertson, and written by Damon Littlesoft. <laughs> Tom or Roland on top. <laughs> I don't know. We better go into the ranks after that. So Matt and I have similar ranks. Um, Matt is going to do the top five attractions at Disneyland, right? Our features?
2: Um, so I was going to do the top five parks based on their features. Okay.
1: And then he's going to do his, and then I'm going to do the top five things about Disney. So... I'll let Matt do his first. Are you gonna go one or are you can start at five or are you can start at one. Um, I'll start at five, so like the my
2: least favorite. Okay. And, and work to my favorite. Okay. Um, so I'll list them off first, and then I'll I'll Explore rank them you. and tell you the oh, okay. the 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 ride, I guess, or the theme that I I like about it. So one of the first one would be Main Street USA. Um, then Adventureland, then Frontierland, Tomorrowland, and then New Orleans Square. Okay. Um, So probably my least favorite, although it probably has one of my uh, favorite memories, um, would be Main Street USA, Um, and that's because of the Magic Shop.
1: Okay. We always
2: had to stop at the Magic Shop on the way out.
1: I think that's where I mentioned with the meetup where Steve Martin got a start. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, so
2: then Next would be Probably Adventureland uh, With the Jungle Cruise
1: mm-hmm, That's a good one
2: um, And then Probably Although I really like this ride now Tomorrowland uh, Because of Space Mountain um, It would, Because it was one of those rides That every single time Because we'd go once a year mm-hmm. And it seemed like Nine times out of ten, that ride was always closed when we were at Disneyland.
1: Oh, and it's kind of, I would say, real quick, it's sort of, in a way, their best ride in as far as it's like their most adult ride, so I remember being kind of scared of it as a yeah, kid. Yep. Yeah, and there was
2: you know, a point, because we, we started going really young, so there was a point that... Uh, we, I was finally able to go on the Space Mountain because yeah. I was too small to, to go on it before. Yeah, it maybe was I was too
1: small to go on it. I just remember not even wanting to go on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so probably, man.
2: I think I'm going to have to do Frontierland next with uh, Big Thunder Mountain. That It's probably one of my all-time favorite rides um, just because you're on the... the uh, coal cars or whatever. Which one was that again? Uh, Big Thunder Mountain at uh, Frontierland. I don't know if I know that one.
1: Uh, That sounds familiar when you talk about the cars, the coal cars.
2: I think it's one of the rides, the few Disney rides that somebody's actually died on. Or probably one, it it might have been just like an urban legend, but I always remember hearing people, somebody died on, you know, Big Thunder Mountain. Um, And then, (sighs) growing up, the ride that I... Always had to go on, and you know when I grew up, I I couldn't wait to actually go to the restaurant on this ride, which was uh, Pirates of the Caribbean in New Orleans Square.
1: Mm. So before I get to my list, I don't my my relationship with Disneyland was weird. I went when I was about four or five, and then I didn't go again until I was like twenty something. <laughs> so I had these great memories. I might have gone twice when I was like four or five, but yeah. I was really I was really young, and it was like this most magical place ever, which is going to play into my list. But then when I we went to my 20-somethings, it was kind of lame. And then I went again like when I was close to 30, and then I kind of reconnected with some of the rides like Pirates of the Caribbean and the um, the Indiana Jones ride I like a lot. yeah, um, Because they're more the... You don't go for the thrills. It's more of a... Uh, God, what would you even call it? They're so old school. They're like things you interact with, yeah. you know, you're not you're not there to get excited. You're there to be like, oh, look at, you know, the dog taking the, you know, the, the pirate trying to get the ch- keys from the yeah. dog and things like that. Um, and then when they started doing some of the 3D stuff, which if you go to Universal Studios has similar rides where they're not necessarily scary, but, you know, uh, they have, uh, what do they have over there? The Transformers ride or something? Yeah, okay. uh, no, Jurassic Park maybe. I can't remember, but... <clears throat> But that stuff I think is really cool. Um, so I've, you know, now I, I've been told uh, someone just came from there. Or were we talking about the meetup where someone was like it's a hundred bucks a person or something? Now, yeah, that is so much. I because I, I last time I checked it was like sixty dollars, which is still really expensive for. I think it's a family. like
2: eighty bucks now, but that's close enough to $100. hundred. Oh, that but... is so
1: expensive. So I, I've been so long since I've went. I do remember when I, last time I went. Which was about ten years ago that it was five dollars to get a Coke out of the Coke machine. So I have no idea how much yeah. it is now <laughs> that's crazy. Um, so I did my my and my list uh, was kind of hard because I it was just general the five five best things about Disney. And there's there's really so many to name and I the things I named most people would probably hate because they don't have anything to do with Disney. <laughs> um. <laughs> most of them don't. So like someone that just loves Disney, I work with someone that goes to still goes to Disney every year and she's like, t- you know, in her 30s. Like people some people just love Disney. So my like, number 5 is Flash Mountain. Do you know what Flash Mountain is? No. It is Splash Mountain, but they take your picture, but this became back in like the nine 90- I don't know when people started doing it, but people started flashing their titties uh, at the camera. Yeah. And one of my memories I like about this is when the internet was pretty young. There wasn't that many porn sites. There was a porn site, or there was a site <laughs> called Flash It still exists. I look for it today. I don't know what's on there because I couldn't look at it at work. <laughs> but it was just such a benign porn. It's I, I don't. I wouldn't really call it porn. I mean, it's adult oriented. Mm-hmm. It's just titties. Um, right. It's like
2: you know, looking through the National Geographic yeah. for the
1: African teddies. But I just remember, you know, when internet, when we had dial up and I would have to wait like five minutes for this picture to load and I'd be like, oh, she's fat. Like, let's look at the next one. Let's look for this picture to load. And it would take, oh man, she's not that good looking either. Oh, that's a dude. So, but anyway, uh, for two reasons, just, you know, young internet pornography, and the idea, because now you see titties everywhere. This is before everyone had cameras and cell phones and everything. You had to be creative to get your titties out there. So, <laughs> Flash Mountain's my number five. Number four this is probably the most Disney of the bunch, almost, is Sports Goofy. Uh-huh. Um, I liked a lot of Disney characters, but I think Sports Goofy was my favorite as a kid. I, I liked the Sports Goofy. Goofy, in general, was probably my favorite Disney character. Yeah. And then Sports Goofy I really liked. I like I like some others. I mean I like Mickey a little bit. I like Donald because he's always pissed off and he didn't wear pants. I like Pluto. I don't know why. Just because I guess I like dogs, but sports goofy for some reason I was really into. <laughs> number three, Lucasfilms. <laughs> <laughs> this normally might be number one, but we haven't seen what Disney is gonna yeah. do with Lucasfilms yet because they haven't I don't as far as I know, I don't think they've done anything. Um because Lucasfilms is things behind besides Star Wars? I mean, that's what comes to mind. Is Star Wars? Is they're going to make a not shitty Star Wars? But um, also
2: the Indiana Jones. Yeah, and-
1: Indiana Jones, which they're talking about having Chris Pratt do, but that hasn't come out yet. I, I just don't know if anything from Luke. I think that that shitty. There's a shitty cartoon. No, that was just George Lucas. I don't know if that was Lucas Films because um, I went on. I went and looked at everything that that Disney owns, and they own so much shit.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, with their I mean their parent companies to pretty much everything.
1: Yeah. So number two, similar in Lucasfilms, is Marvel. And the reason this is, is uh above Lucasfilms is they took shitty superhero movies and they made them good. So people were really worried <clears throat> when when Disney got Lucasfilms, they're like, Okay, what are they gonna do? What are they gonna do to Star Wars? They're gonna make it Disney Fied. And then you see everything they've done with Marvel, which is the Avengers movies, the uh, Captain America movies. The Iron Man movies, <clears throat> all of those have been under Disney. The X Men is under Fox, Spider Man's under Sony, but all of like the good <laughs> comic yeah. book movies has generally been done under Disney. So um, that's pretty cool. And the number one actually goes to my most cheesiest Disney thing, and this is really dumb. I put the magic it puts into children. <laughs> Because again, as I said, when I went to Disneyland at age three or four, it was like the the most (laughs) magical place ever. It was just I I loved it. I remember going the other. I think the other ride that that had the biggest effect on me was the Haunted Mansion, and then when they put the ghost next to you, yeah, which is such old school hologram technology, but it works so well. And it was I mean they designed that in like what the 40s or 50s or something, and it and it plays really well. They were totally cutting edge. I mean that's where Tomorrowland came from. Is is Disney wanted to. I guess his, his ultimate idea, which never panned out, is he wanted a real city that had the most futuristic technology and he was going to have the monorails and, and people come to work and through all of this. He was, he was super into that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, just the magic I felt from, from being at Disneyland and just the early Disney cartoons. I mean, I liked um, a lot of the early Disney stuff, like the uh, Bambi and, and uh, um, you know, Fox and Hound was was one of my favorites and stuff like that. Yeah, was Chippendales, so it's one of my... Chippendales, I liked I liked Huey, Dewey, and Louie before they were DuckTales. They they were mm. kind of a, a interesting to me. And DuckTales was like a big uh, cartoon for some of the people that were like a, like a year or two younger than me. Like I do.
2: I always had to... Well, we didn't rush Rescue home Rangers or anything, and, but yeah, every day after school, we'd get home and watch, yeah, Chippendale Rescue Rangers and Tailspin and... Mm.
1: Yeah, So, I think anything else you want to cover about the movie, Tomorrowland? Um, I'll say real quick, this is just my thing. I give the movie a five, which isn't a bad. It's just very steady. It's not bad. It's not good. That's just my opinion. Um, I don't think it has a magic that I talk about that a lot of the other Disney films have. That being said, if I had been under the age of 13, I probably would bump this up to like a seven but not much higher because even as a kid, I don't think I would get as much magic out of it as I yeah. would have gotten out of some of the other movies. I mean, it was a cool movie. Again, nothing was was bad with it. It had good acting. It had good effects. It had a, kind of an interesting story. It just kind of missed a little something to me. I don't know what it was. Just It was missing a spice.
2: Yeah, I would I would agree with that. There was... For
1: me, I think even if I was like 13, I probably wouldn't have... Thirteen yeah. would have been my cutting. Like I said, I would have to be younger than thirteen. Yeah. Thirteen, I'd be like, that's stupid. <laughs> so,
2: well, I think uh, kids nowadays have seen so many, you know, greater so much, so many uh, greater inventions out there in movies than yeah. what was kind of portrayed in this this film. And I, I understand they weren't trying to to go all out in the CG CG, but um, it. it a lot of it just was stuff that we've seen before. Not...
1: If Disney was alive, it would have been a better movie. Yeah. It would have been like, because like Matt pointed out, one of the cooler things was the swimming pools, which actually seemed rather dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> so they were like these swimming pools where they could jump into this uh, you know, big swimming pool and they had a membrane where they could pop out the bottom and then drop another 60 feet into another pool and then they possibly do it again. But the pools didn't exactly cool. line up. So... It seemed possible that if you jumped out of, like, the edge of one pool that you would just plummet completely to your death. <laughs> or what if you just hit, well, I suppose if you hit the side of the pool, you might be all right. Since they well, I guess there to... was a giant pool at the bottom, though. So okay. Could... Well, even if you drop 400 feet, I mean, look at people jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> they just get splattered. Water still has a, like, concrete when you hit it at a certain speed. Yeah. Um, Let's see, anything else about the movie? I, I talked about my thing about Britt Robertson, about <laughs> that I thought she was old and haggard, and I still hate her, but she's actually won me over a couple points being that she is 25, because I really did think that she was 17 or 16. I mean, I honestly did think that she was younger.
2: I, I think the other girl was a little bit more creepy to me than.
1: Oh, the the little, the little, the younger one? Yeah. She seemed like a pretty decent actress, and she had to be oh, young. Yeah. Um, Yeah, she was creepy. Like, did you ever uh, watch that uh, TV show Small Wonder with Evie? Yeah, yep. Or was Evie the the Small Wonder? Because there was two. There was um, Small Wonder, there was one with the robot, and then there was the one with the alien that could. Evie was the robot, right? No, Evie was the the one one that that could could freeze time, time, yeah. Okay, so she was the alien. So I don't know that Small Wonder. Kind of reminded me of that a little bit, because that robot was a little bit creepy, too. Evie, that's right. Do you remember the name of... Okay, if you know the name of Small Wonder... <laughs> yeah, I know, know Yeah, I know what you're talking about. E- 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 email us. <laughs> I didn't write down anything on my sheet about how to get a hold of us, <laughs> other than um, you can find pictures for this episode on potablepictureshow.com. I'll talk about this in Last Call.
0: <laughs> Last Call. Looking at the world through the bottom of a glass. All I see is a man who's
1: fixed last call so no secret word this week um, we don't know what movie we're seeing next week it's up for a poll I was kind of leery of putting up a poll because I really wanted to see the film Aloha and that's the only film that hasn't got any votes yeah. right now San Andreas is winning which was why I'd guess what would happen yeah. but it was a slow build it like was in last place for a long time Um, I may not be able to see whatever movie is pulled next week. Uh, This weekend, Heathen is hosting Pitch Perfect 2, so we will have something to say about that. I do plan to see Aloha sometime this weekend. I don't know what movie will be on Tuesday, so I don't know what we'll be talking about next weekend at all, or next week on the podcast. Um, Any other upcoming events? I'm not really sure. We did do the drive-in. We saw Poltergeist and Fast and Furious 7. Fast 7, mm. Furious 7, where the fuck it's called. It's horrible. <laughs> oh, do you see in the next Expendables that Hulk Hogan may play the bad guy? No. Pretty excited about that. <laughs> I may actually see that Expendable. <laughs> um, any last words, Beermaker Matt? Uh, wait for Netflix on Tomorrowland
2: if you haven't seen it yet.
1: Yeah, the reason it would be to see it would be the effects, and they're not the kind of effects you need to see on a big screen. No. Yeah, just... Uh, see it on a small screen and, you know, be looking at porn on the laptop. I Meanwhile, wow, uh, Tom and Hardy, who's on top, whatever it is.
2: <laughs> watch it while you're playing uh candy crush.
1: Yeah. Uh, like I said, I think that's all of my last words for the moment. If you're ever in Reno, check out Sierra, Sierra Nevada movie club, come bowling, come watch pitch. Perfect two. come see a movie. Um, if you want to get a hold of us, you can reach us at potablepictureshow at gmail.com. And to play us out, we're going back to our original playout music from NoFX. Thanks, No Effects. Keep it wet, everybody.
0: All my neighbors are fast asleep, and I can't find anything to drink. Mackenzie's drank all the great alcohol, so I'm...
2: I can
1: add it. Add it I'll just <laughs> do it again no. This apartment is bathing suit optional <laughs>